In verse 5, it says, He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. You can see here that God's justice, the sword of his chastisement, fell on the Lord Jesus. And those for whom Christ died, they are healed. Now, I ask the same question again. Is it or is it not? Did the Lord Jesus really bear that chastisement? Are we really healed? According to Genesis, or Isaiah 53, it is absolutely certain. Welcome again to Let the Bible Speak. This is Pastor Ian Golliher, and we continue our series on the gospel. On today, we move to limited atonement. How does the Bible present this matter of Jesus dying for sinners? And what of those who never become Christians? Did Jesus die for them? These are very important issues. We come today to Isaiah chapter 53 to answer this question. And I want you to listen carefully of how the Scripture speaks of the death of the Lord Jesus. Here is verse 4. Surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. But... He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. Now, you'll notice that there are no maybes, buts, or ifs. It is a certainty that what Jesus accomplished on the cross is granted to his people. And those for whom he died shall receive the benefit of his death. He bled on purpose, pouring out his blood, shedding his own redeeming blood to purchase. And it was a real transaction. And that's the point. It was a transaction. And the transaction was accepted and sinners are saved. So stay with us today as we move to the pulpit of our church on this question of the purpose in the atonement. Well, we're back to Isaiah chapter 53 today. And as you know, in this series on TULIP, we come to L, L for limited atonement. Now, TULIP is a scheme of doctrines that is equipping us to understand the gospel, a gospel that has to be from A to Z, where God is the author and the finisher of our faith, where it is not just God does his part, we do our part, and maybe, maybe we will make it into heaven. That would not be a gospel. That would not be good news. That would cause us to tremble that somewhere along the way we would lose what God began. And surely we know that what God plans, 
he fully executes. He is no failure in his architecture. What he designs, he will perfect and finish. So you might well be asking, why is this then called limited atonement? What is it limited about? Well, of course, firstly, you understand that it's part of this acronym, L for in the middle of TULIP. And it is a device to help us to remember. But I want you to assure you that while this is called limited atonement, and this is my first big point now, it is not limited in its purpose, nor is it limited in its power. And time permitting, we will learn today that it is not limited in its preaching. We are not limited in any way to whom we may preach this good news that God loves sinners and God will save all who turn on to him. Now, here in Isaiah 53, we want to look at the success rate of our Savior's death. And we want to learn God's version or God's statement on what he is convinced the death of the Lord Jesus would convey. Now, verses 1 to 3 is man's estimate. And you'll see here how, who hath believed our report, to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed, he shall grow up as a tender plant. And then verse 3, he is despised and rejected. All of that, of course, is man's estimation of Christ's death. Doesn't mean anything to me. Despised, rejected, and hated. Uh, Don't preach to me about blood atonement. Don't preach to me about my need to come and sit at the feet of Jesus at the cross and to be washed in blood. That is all abhorrent to me. And so we see here in verses 1 to 3, you have man's estimate. But in verses 4 to 12, you have God or Jehovah's estimation through his prophet Isaiah. And here in verse 4, we will begin where it says, Surely he hath borne our sorrows. Now, the word born means to carry away. It is used in various places in the Bible, like bearing the ark. It means that it is carried along. Or it means to be set upon camels in Genesis 31. Or where in Joseph's time they laded the asses with the corn that was to be carried out of Egypt up to Jacob during the time of famine. And so this word born means to be carried off, carried along. Now, the question I need to ask you is this. Did the Lord Jesus do it or did he not? Did he really bear our sins? Did he really carry off the load of iniquity that is upon sinners? And you have to answer that. In the record here, it says in verse 4, surely he hath borne our griefs. There's no doubt about it. It is something that is absolutely done. In verse 5, it says, He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace 
was upon him. You can see here that God's justice, the sword of his chastisement, fell on the Lord Jesus. And those for whom Christ died, they are healed. Now, I ask the same question again. Is it or is it not? Did the Lord Jesus really bear that chastisement? Are we really healed? According to Genesis, or Isaiah 53, it is absolutely certain. And this is not a theoretical thing, but it is final and it is finished in the purposes of God. It is done. And that's very important to notice. We move to verse 6, and we see again another statement. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. The Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. Now, again, I ask the same question. Did he or did he not? And the answer is yes. God did lay upon his own son the iniquity of his people. Moving on to verse 7 and to verse 8, you'll see the people for whom Christ did this. Uh, let's read the end of verse 8. For the transgression of my people was he stricken. And so God planned it, God executed it, God perfected it, Christ endured it, and it was done for his own people. And you can see that God had a people in mind for whom the Lord Jesus would die. Now, you might ask, well, that might be Israel. That might be Judah. Uh, in the Old Testament, quite often it refers to the people of that nation. And if we only had the Old Testament Scriptures, we would probably say that's, that's the extent of it. But when we get into the New Testament, we know that Christ died for Jews and Gentiles. And so God has a people of every nation. And we know from Revelation that out of every people, tongue, tribe, and nation, that God has a people whom he saves by the death, by the blood of Jesus. But what is the success rate of this? Is it something that was in God's mind? Was it his purpose that was really carried out, made effectual? Was it just a theory? If we end at the theory position, well, you could have the position of God purposing, but not actually fulfilling. And so we come back to, did it happen or did it not? Did the work take place or did it not? Were people redeemed or were they not? And as we go down through this chapter of Isaiah, the answer becomes very self-evident. Look at verses 7 and 8, uh, verse 10 now. Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He hath put him to grief. When thou shalt make his soul an offering for sin, he shall see his seed. Notice the shalls here in this verse 10. He shall see his seed. He shall prolong his days. And the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. 
There is no thought here of merely being a, a theory or some purpose that doesn't get done. Rather, it is redemption accomplished, and it is fulfilled for those people God had in mind. So, was this a success? The only answer you can give biblically is that according to the Scriptures, Jehovah speaking through the prophet Isaiah, is that it is done. Verse 11 now, it says, He shall see of the travail of his soul, and shall be satisfied. By, my, by his knowledge shall my righteous servant justify many. Now, you know what justify means. You would be a very short-term attendee of this congregation if you did not know what the word justify means. It means to declare righteous. Did he or did he not? Was that work done or was it not? Was it merely theoretical or was it something that was carried out in time? We know the history of Calvary. We know what our Lord Jesus endured. And according to the book here of Isaiah 53, 11, my righteous servant shall justify many, for he shall bear their iniquities. In other words, those iniquities were laid on Jesus. They were paid in full, and God the Father accepted the payment. God was so pleased with the work of His Son that in verse 12 we read of the rewards which are given to the Son. Therefore will I divide him a portion with the great, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong. Because he hath poured out his soul unto death, and he was numbered with the transgressors, and he bare the sin of many, and made intercession for the transgressors. So there again is the success. Here's the reward that is given to the Son, and the Father is saying when Christ died and when He redeemed His people, He's going to make those people the reward of His redeeming work. And so we see that this atonement is not limited in its purpose, but rather it is successful and effectual in what God set out to do the Lord Jesus accomplished. Now, we have worked our way down through Isaiah 53. I want to take out of that chapter one word, the word justify, justify. We found it there in verse 11, my righteous servant, shall my righteous servant justify many. Now, that's a great gospel word. That is one of the great, uh, what we call the standing or falling doctrines of the gospel. Now, I want to take you to Romans chapter 8 and verse 30 to note the gospel chain. It has been well described as that chain of events whereby God redeems us and brings us right into glory. In verse 30, we read here, Moreover, whom he did predestinate, them he also called. And whom he called, 
them he also justified, and whom he justified, them he also glorified. Now, ask the same question. Did he or did he not? Was this work just a theory in the mind of God, a grand initial purpose that was never carried out? Or was this a work of redemption, atonement by the death of Christ that was perfected, fulfilled? Now, Paul here is speaking, of course, long after Calvary. He is expounding the work of the cross after its completion. He's using the word justify, and he is saying that whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate. And verse 30, whom he did predestinate, them he also called. And whom he called, them he also justified. And them whom he justified, he also glorified. And so when God sets his love upon a sinner, when God sends his son to die for that person, they are justified and they're also glorified. These are certainties. They are all part of the very same scheme of redemption. Now, I come back to the question, is it just theoretical or is it real? Is it merely a proposal, or is it a work that was actually carried out and done successfully by the Lord Jesus? Did the Lord Jesus actually pay for sin on the cross? Did he actually satisfy the justice of God by pouring out his blood unto death on that cross? we as evangelical Bible readers will only say yes. There's no other answer to that question. The work was done. Satisfaction was made. Reconciliation with the Father between God and sinners was made. It's not limited. It's completed. It is perfected. And so, from these Scripture terms and statements, we must conclude this, that all for whom Christ died, they are saved, justified, and will be glorified in heaven. And so then, following from that, we can say, Christ, no, I'm going to ask you the question of this, did Christ die for all men? How could we say that when we know that many are lost? We know of Judas. He's lost. He's not in heaven. He went to his own place, the Bible tells us. The rich man at whose gate Lazarus sat opened his eyes after death. Where? In torments. Did Christ die for him? That's a very important question. There's the other thief that died on the cross, the one who did not find mercy and was promised heaven that day. He's lost. And of course, there are those multitudes that are lost. We cannot say that Christ died in the place as the substitute or the surety of those who are lost. What about Judas then? Judas was present on the night that the Lord instituted this Lord's table. And I want to take you to Luke chapter 22 to verse 19. 
And I want you to see how the Lord Jesus handled the issue of Judas being present at that table. <clears throat> Luke 22 and verse 19. The Lord Jesus took bread and gave thanks and break it, and gave unto them, saying, This is my body, which is given for you. This do in remembrance of me. He's speaking generally there to the whole group of the disciples. Likewise also the cup after the supper, saying, This cup is the New Testament in my blood, which is shed for you. And then verse 21 begins with, But, but behold the hand of him that betrayeth me on the table, is with me on the table. And truly the Son of Man goeth as it was determined, but woe unto that man by whom he is betrayed. The blood of Jesus was not shed for Judas. The cup was not presented to Judas. He went out and it was night. He went out into darkness. We cannot say that Christ died for someone who ends up lost. And to say that Christ died for all men, when we know that the broad road leads many to destruction, we cannot say that Christ died for those who end up in a lost, hopeless eternity. What kind of gospel would that be? What kind of good news would it be? Christ died for those who now are in the torments of hell. And if I also add to that, but Christ died for me, does that mean that I may end up in the same place of, of torment? The answer is an absolute no. We are assured from the Bible that what Christ purposed, he fulfilled that those for whom Christ died, they are saved. They are cleansed by the very power of the blood of Jesus.
You're listening to Let the Bible Speak. This is Pastor Ian Gallagher, and I hope that you have been listening hard to the message today on this wonderful doctrine of the effectual atonement, particular redemption. Christ died for his own people. And we noted the shalls in Isaiah chapter 53. It is not left up to ifs, buts, and whens, but rather it is an accomplished fact. Redemption is accomplished. It's not just a theory. It's not just an offer. It is accomplished. And therefore, Christ's death was a success. No one will end up in hell for whom Christ died. The blood of Jesus is powerful and effectual to justify, declare righteous, God's own people. And we made that point in the message today, and I hope you took it to heart that if you have believed on Jesus, then you are justified, declared righteous, and that will never be reversed. It cannot be undone because the blood of Jesus on the cross, the price that he paid on, the, on Calvary, cannot be undone. You are absolutely and eternally saved. Now, can you see the import of saying that Jesus' death was universal, that he died for every single person who ever was born of Adam? What do we then say about those people who end up in hell? Did Christ die for Judas? Was his blood shed for the one whom we know in Scripture went to his own place? No, Jesus died for his own people. He died effectually, and everyone is washed, everyone is justified, and everyone shall be glorified. And so rejoice in this gospel truth, and may the Lord write this certainty upon your heart. You are listening to Let the Bible Speak, the radio broadcast of the Free Presbyterian Church in Canada. This is Pastor Ian Golliher. If you missed part of today's program or would like to hear it again, you can find it archived by program date on our website. Just go to www.ltbs.ca, CA for Canada. There you can read my blog, find my Bible study notes, audio and video sermons, as well as helpful articles. Or you can go to our podcast on iTunes. We're on the air Sundays at 9.30 a.m. for our full church broadcast and Monday to Friday, 5 a.m. and 5 p.m. on this station to bring you the gospel from our free Presbyterian church here in Cloverdale. We also invite you to our church services on Sundays, 10.30 and 6 p.m. Through our website, you can listen and view to our online services at 10.30 and 6 p.m. Make it your Sunday worship. Click on the Live Now button on the home page of our website. Or if you would like to talk with me one-on-one -on -one as a pastor, please give me a call. The phone number is 604-897-2040. The mailing address is 
1-877-90-58 Avenue, Surrey, BC, V3S1M6. We're located just two blocks north of Number 10 Highway on 188th Street. Our website again is ltbs.ca. You can join us Monday to Friday, 5 a.m., 5 p.m. here on this station as we let the Bible speak. Music